Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel with Travis Morningstar. Hey. Hello, Travis. Travis will be joining me today on an interview, and I am super excited to have this dude. Obviously... Uh, for longtime listeners of this show, you know we've been talking about automation. What's the future going to look like? It seems as if everyone read uh, 1984 as a, like, how-to, yeah. and it's quite unfortunate. <laughs> um, so today we are going to talk about automation with a dude. He works at the New York Times. He, he, is, uh, he covers all of their tech. He is a brilliant man. He is the author of a new book called Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Mike Isaac is with us. Thank you so much for being on the show, dude. Yo, thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's just start in with this book, The Battle for Uber, Super Pumped. Uh, why did you write it? What's it about? What do you want people to get out of it? Yeah, totally. Well, I think I should probably explain the title. This company, Uber, it's been around for 10 years. Right. Um, uh, the CEO is named Travis Kalanick, and he's sort of like the physical embodiment of Axe body spray, is what I would say, <laughs> probably. He's uh, just like very bro culture kind of guy. And so one of his, um, what, he has these like 14 principles that he made for the company, like just sort of, you know, all the tech companies like to have these very lofty ideals. And right. one of them was um, super pumped was one of those principles. And so in hiring their employees, they evaluated what level of super pumpedness uh, each person had when they brought to the company. Yeah, how do like, you evaluate how pumped or not pumped <laughs> someone is? What's the data behind that? I mean, I don't know exactly how. I'm I'm assuming it would be like how many Jaeger bombs can you slam in one <laughs> evening or something like. I'm not really sure how you do that, but it was it was definitely a key indicator of their personnel. Okay. But um, I, but like the point of this book for me was I've been. I'm a technology reporter. I've covered Facebook, Uber, um, Apple, a lot of the big tech companies out in, uh, I live in San Francisco, out in San Francisco for right. about 10 years. And Uber, um, my thinking around it is like, we've, we've been in this era of technology and particularly technology coverage that has been pretty laudatory and kind of like praising founders as these like, sort of demigods on earth, right? right? Like mm -hmm. the kid in the sweatshirt makes 
you know, has this hustle and he makes a billion dollars and like, this is what you should be next. And I think now, and, you know, interrupt me if you think otherwise, but I think probably in the past few years, like there's been this sort of awakening from folks saying, Oh my God, like the services that we rely on and use every day and give our information to and, and have slowly let into every part of our life and actually do very bad things. right? Right. And, and like, People on Facebook can be manipulated by mm-hmm. uh, uh, Russian operatives or, you know, workers' rights are being eroded by the rise of gig economy and, and labor practices are in the toilet. And- yeah, right. Well, I'm interested in Travis. Travis will have a question here in a second, but I'm just interested in hearing. So Uber on its face is a yeah. ride sharing app. Yeah, Uber, mm-hmm. you get in a car and you get dropped off on its face. Mm-hmm. It's just a glorified taxi with an easier pickup system. What is the underlying layer? What is behind Uber? Where is the actual money? Because I think we can all agree that it's about the aggregation of data. So what is Uber's actual business? Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny you say this because like, I would say during the early years, they, they believed that Uber raised like more than $10 billion in private capital. And, they would just subsidize every one of your rides with uh, by paying for most of it. So I don't know if you remember back in 2012, mm-hmm. 13, 14, where you took an Uber and you could pay like five bucks yep. to go much further. And so their whole business model was a very common maxim in Silicon Valley, which is this, we got to grow, 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 grow. It doesn't matter how much it costs us. We're going to burn money by the truckload as long as we can get big enough. Yeah. And, that has been the case there, you know, ostensibly they, uh, they, they said, you know, once we get enough users, we can sort of turn, uh, either raise prices or pay, pay drivers less and actually start to be a profitable company. And that day has not arrived. They're still burning shitloads of money. Mm-hmm. They're still, um, moving into new businesses that cost, uh, cost them more money to, to sort of grow users. So the underlying business in theory might have worked. Um, might have worked if, if there weren't so many competitors, you know, because right. like the other thing is like uh, you don't know the difference between Uber or Lyft or any other ride sharing service. It's kind yeah. of a commodity thing. Right. So um, they say their power is the network, but I think they have a lot more problems than they let on. And so what is it then? I mean, we see these profits uh, being very minimal, if not at all, yeah. as we see with yes. Netflix, which is billions of dollars in the red. Oh, yeah. They have uh, like two they, years yeah. left. Yeah, they have two years left, maybe. Or do they just maintain? So, I mean, I guess what I want to get to is, is there an alternative, ulterior motive behind what these companies actually are? As opposed mm. to the service that they're presenting, Netflix just says, "Hey, you can have friends whenever you want to watch that show. You can watch it on demand. We have all of these movies, all of these things. They're hemorrhaging cash, and there mm. has to be—I don't know if it's nefarious or not—but do you yeah. have any insight into like what's the background, what's under the rock here? Why are they allowed yeah. to a- operate in the red? Totally break. No, a restaurant can't do that. Uh, no yeah. other institution can do that. Professional WWE can't do that. <laughs> what is what is the point? How are they able to operate, and why do people continue to give them all of this money? Yeah, no, I think your I think your your suspicion is correct in that the most valuable thing out here, like companies will always want to suck up more data on your behavior, like. 
as a default uh, perspective, right? Like right. Facebook, Facebook from the very beginning tried to collect as much information on where you were in the world, where your location was, what type of ads you like, what type of shit you wear, like everything. And, and I think that mindset has been sort of imprinted on every, every company in the Valley. It's better to have more information on you than less. Mm-hmm. And so Uber, I think their long-term play, what they're trying to convince folks of now is like, look, we can take all this data that we have on you and suggest other things to you. Maybe like we can push you to the left and buy something from Uber Eats from us. Like we right. know you are, we know you are out at this time of night during the week. And so maybe we can recommend you go to, uh, go to a fucking, I don't know, a bar or something over here. Right. right? Like I think, I think they that this aggregation of data over time is a very powerful thing, and mm-hmm. I also think that people don't know don't know just how much of that they're giving up on a regular basis. And also, isn't there there's some sort of like there's a philosophical difference in their the approach to their business model as well, which is very similar to Facebook, which is over yeah. profits. They are more interested in growth in general. Yes just yes. exploding and becoming ubiquitous mm. uh, yes. as opposed to making money because once you become once you become a part of everyone's lifestyle in every part yep. of the world right. money just comes you don't have to think about yep. making profit but then going back to what you said about sort of reporting that lauded uber i feel like cuz i've i followed you for a while on twitter actually and i feel like you're one of yeah, the reporters cool. yeah i feel like you're one yeah. of the reporters who actually um, kind of investigated with a, a sort of a scrutinizing eye as opposed to mm. celebrating this giant growth of a company. And But that's the thing. Like, Uber is doing sort of unethical, wall-breaking, uh, illegal, unethical kind of things, but people don't seem to be holding them accountable. I mean, now, more recently, mm. that is the case, but are companies taking cues from Uber that should obviously completely be thrown out the window as unethical and and illogical or it is has uber set a bad precedent for other companies and are companies actually following the lead on uber's bad precedent yeah no that's a great well first of all i'm flattered that you think that i hold them to count and i I do think that like i think my view has always been like look tech is gonna fucking rule the world and it's very and people don't really understand the consequences of how powerful it is quite yet i think we're just now getting there like like normal non you know non nerdy tech people like myself like are just now starting to get that but um the reason i was so interested in uber for this book is because i think they just sort of symbolize everything bad about every sort of excess and shitty thing about the valley uh writ large you know like bro culture sexual harassment um you know eroding like like worker protections and um and cutting a lot of corners in the name of growth and sort of that's like it's like Silicon Valley ethos to the maximum. And I do think I guess the hopeful part of this is like seeing what happened to them in 2017, the CEO getting ousted, right. um, you know, this delete Uber movement where like half a million people deleted their accounts. Like they're still they're just getting hammered and sort of tarnish their brand to this level of toxicity. I think has at least put some tech companies on their heels and like has internalized the idea that, Oh, we can't be like as shitty as ever. We have to kind of like at least try to be ethical, you know, right. even if we're 
even if we're not, you know, fully getting there. So, I mean, I suppose it's it's an interesting situation. And of course, we can, you know, blame tech companies and whatnot for some of their misgivings. At the same time, I used Uber to come to the studio today. I used Uber twice yes. so far today. I'm going to use it probably <laughs> once again when I have a couple too many beers and I don't want to walk the mile home to my house. Uh, so I am, you know, a consumer and someone who uses this product on a regular basis. When it comes to convenience versus sacrifice, so we have a situation where people are willing to sacrifice a certain amount of liberty, of information, of data because of the convenience. Is there any way in the future? I just, I Travis just sent you the email when it comes to uh, this new Gizmodo article regarding yeah. Fitbit, and now evidently Fitbit. Uh, they may begin, the Trump administration may begin using the data that Fitbit acquires through your who you are to indicate if you may become a mass shooter or not. It's as if every Tom Cruise movie is coming to fruition, and uh, which I think is quite uh, disturbing because, you know, anyway, there's a whole series of reasons why that's a horrible idea. Um, so when it comes to convenience versus how much you're giving up, do you think there's a tipping point? Where people say, hey, you know what? I'm taking this Fitbit off. I'm not going to allow Uber to use my data and whatnot. And yeah. if so, like, where is that? Because right now yeah. we're just giving so much up. And I am, again, totally guilty of all of that for yep. convenience. When does it change? I 100% agree with you. I just, like, I fucking, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I, earlier this week I had... Um, a bottle of laundry detergent delivered to my house on Amazon because I'm an asshole. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, typical New York times elite. I was going to say, but I got my comeuppance because the delivery driver, uh, kicked the box and it exploded all over the floor. Of my, my apartment lobby. So you were, you were kind I of asking for that one. I totally was. But I, I do think to your point, like, look, as much as people complain about Facebook being creepy or as Uber being this gross company or Amazon taking over the world, like, it is really, really easy to have them be a part of, like, every part of our lives, right? Like, I'm still, I still uh, order giant packages of toilet paper through Amazon because I don't want to schlep from the grocery store right. or, you know, or, like, to be fair to Uber, like, they do... Like they've taken drunk drivers off the road, you know, or like you right. can um, yep. you can get to there are transportation deserts in in the boroughs of New York, and those folks can maybe get to a subway stop easier using Uber or something. So like, I think there are trade offs, and I think like I can't I have to be um, I can't just unilaterally say all of this shit is bad because it's not it's also not going away. If that makes sense, exactly. So I but I do think there are points in which people people sort of realize, okay, I'm not comfortable with X and this is what I'm willing to do to give up that, you know, it's right. just, I'm not sure we're fully there yet because no. it's just too convenient. And I do want to talk about automation and jobs uh, here in just a second, but just to uh, really drive this point home, if folks at home want to listen or read rather uh, this article, it's on Gizmodo. It's entitled the plan to use Fitbit data to stop mass shootings is one of the scariest proposals yet. It's written by Melanie Aaron Krantz, and just a snippet of this uh, should send chills down all of our spines, and I want to hear your thoughts on just what this article begins with, Mike. 
Uh, so this mm. is a quote from the article. These proposals frequently focus on mental health. This is regarding gun reform. But a new plan before the White House is to monitor, quote, neurobehavioral predictors of violence. Uh, last week, the Washington Post reported that the White House had been briefed on a plan to create an agency called HARPA, a healthcare counterpart to the Pentagon's research and development arm, DARPA. Among other initiatives, this new agency would, would reportedly collect volunteer data from a from all smart devices, Apple Watches, Fitbit, Amazon Echoes, and Google Home, uh, in order to identify, again, quote, neurobehavioral signs of someone, quote, someone headed towards a violent or explosive act. So Ugh. how <laughs> we have a situation where, again, the future is now. We are living in every 1990 James Cameron, like, you know, <laughs> sci-fi movie. What yep. what does this mean as you have followed the trends of technology when you hear an article like that? And this is just mm. something that should be. First of all, the fact that this is only on Gizmodo is stunning to me. You would think this yeah. would be national news. This should be on every newspaper's front page as far as I'm concerned. And we just yeah. don't hear about it. What do you make of this new development regarding the government possibly trying to use these technologies as predictive towards behavior? No, I, I think you're, well, A, it's just insane that like precogs are a real thing now, I guess, or like yeah. they're trying to get it, you know, but like, look, I think one of the things that I, I like or that I try to do is like look at how attitudes around technology change over time and i think we i think it's kind of like a pendulum if you remember back in 2012 2013 when snowden came out with yeah. um his dump like everyone freaked out everyone was like fuck you the government like you're spying on all this stuff this is really bad i deserve my personal individual liberties right right and and so over the past few years we've gotten to this point where um i think like the Russian, this sort of, even the thought of like Russian infiltration of social media and manipulation has pushed Americans to the other end of that and been like, well, we want more government intervention. We want, we want you to keep us safe. Maybe even like they're scared of mass shooting. So maybe they're willing to give up something that would have otherwise been, you know, unthinkable. But wouldn't someone who is going to commit a mass shooting yeah. just not have a Fitbit then? Yeah. Doesn't it seem like, I mean, this reminds me of how we got with the Patriot Act, how we got the Patriot Act under this yes. notion that this is going to protect our nation after 9-11. And that Patriot Act has now been used and exploited so many times to infringe on our constitutional rights. I just feel like we're almost in a tech version of what the Patriot Act was. No, I think you're, I think you're totally right. I think it'll probably swing back once people realize, oh my God, we're like, bowing down to the government more than we had before. But, Mike, can it swing back? I mean, that's, I don't know, that's, that's the sort of weird situation we're in now, too, where we actually have to look to a company like Facebook to fight for us, like, to, right. to sort of, to, and it's like, it's sort of disconcerting, right? Like, you're you're now, like, relying on or, or relying on the benevolence of, of Facebook to sort of fight for your individual liberties or sort of your data protection or whatever like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way ostensibly you could sort of have that 
that say yourself. But I don't know. I don't. I mean, like the question is a valid one, which is like, are we going to get to a point where they the the horse is out of the barn and it's already too late for us to swing back the other way? You know. Right. So I don't know. But going back to Uber and how yeah. they themselves use technology to manipulate the reality around them, they've they've flounced uh, all compliance rules and uh, they've spied on people. Like, uh, yeah. I, I don't think people know enough about the sort of trespasses against, like, the country that that Uber has taken part in. Like, uh, can you do you, can you explain a little bit about grayballing and what and what that that entailed? Uh, totally. So, yeah, back in 20. So, again, this is like a lot of um, it's hard to remember, like when Uber was just not everywhere. Like you guys, you guys are in New York. You can just sort of catch mm-hmm. Uber at any time. Um, but back in the day, like it was just not legal and they would have to sort of blitzkrieg into cities and um, push their way in. And then, you know, traffic cops or, or, you know, actual police would try to pull them over and, and impound their cars to sort of prohibit Uber from barreling in. Right. Right. So Uber and Travis Kalnick in his fashion always had to take it to the next level. And they invented this tool, a software tool, where they could essentially tag the car tag the um, mobile phones of police or transportation officials trying to catch Ubers. So it would hide the cars from them and sort of make them unable to use the app, which lawyers later thought was obstruction of justice and the department of justice. Yeah. The department of justice ended up opening an investigation. I, I broke the story in 20, not to toot my own horn, but uh, <laughs> I'll toot it. I will. I'll, I will toot. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I broke the story in 2017 and it was a big um, sort of, it just sort of was indicative of like how um, advanced the techniques are and how willing these, at least some of these companies are, are, are to go, how far, how far they're willing to go to do what they believe is, is right and bring their technology, their service to these cities. And like to that point, like they, they want, like they actually did make it in these cities and, and then settled the claims with the Department of Justice for, for some millions of dollars later that, that wasn't really a big deal to them. Right. Do you think it is the the lack of comprehension about technology writ large that yeah. prevents people from caring more about these crazy, like, invasion of privacy things that tech companies do? Yeah. Like, uh, I know that the, another another software that Uber used was, I think they co- codenamed it Hell, and it was just yes. basically spying on their own drivers using uh <laughs> using audio basically audio bugs in the car wow uh and then they've also spied on celebrities and ex-spouses within the company and like what yep. why aren't people more outraged by this and what what, what is the what it separates these like mm. crazy offenses from people you know caring enough to maybe putting their foot on i know back in uh you know the the airport thing that where uber was surging the prices um, for mm. incoming the, for the protests for protests and yep. stuff, I know that yeah. was one of the few instances where that became enough for people to uh, to protest using it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, is it is it tech comprehension that is separating people from that is not that is preventing people from saying I'm, enough is enough with this particular company? No, you're you're totally right. There's like there's so much shit under the hood. One thing that um, I mentioned in the book is like they have this dinner party. And the counterpart to hell is heaven. And in heaven, Uber can has a, a real-time map of where every person using their service is on the road uh, in front of them. And so 
they just showed this map of everyone's locations all across the world for this nice lavish dinner party they had in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they think it's fu- funny, but it's sort of like a deep invasion of privacy that if normal people kind of knew about it would be right. like, why the, why the fuck are you showing me? I think it's two things. I do think it's like, I think one, it's probably a, a failing on the media's fault. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do. I've had to like even look inward and see like the past 10 years of tech coverage. Like, have we gone hard enough? on these companies are we just only getting there now right and then i think like opacity works you know the less people know about what these companies do what how even like the most basic fundamentals of how ad technology works or or how facebook works like if they had a real idea of it um i think they would be probably more more at least somewhat more upset about it right you know But it comes to your point about convenience. You know, it's a decision at the end of the day. Absolutely. It's a new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. LaVon Bell is with the Jets. And Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. The one thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses, more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys and gals out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Up to 1,000 first deposit bonus, double your first deposit. Use promo code TOPHAT to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code TOPHAT when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid! Well, let's talk a little bit about automation when it comes to the workforce, because obviously when it comes to Uber, uh, I think there has been a lot of benefits of Uber, but then obviously you ask a taxi driver and a traditional taxi driver, and they will tell you a different story. What happened here in New York City was the city basically jacked up the medallion prices. Uh, Folks were buying them for a million dollars. Next thing you know, Uber rolls through. There's an app now. No longer need to go out in the street and hold up your hand. There's going to be a generation of people who who are going to see that as like a caveman drawing and be like, what did you do? You went outside and the car wasn't there for you? Um, (laughs) And because of that, the medallion prices plummeted down to, you know, basically the, you know, uh, toilet paper, uh, very similar to the tech uh, bust of the late 90s, right. uh, where yeah. it just all plummeted down. So when it comes to the workforce, they estimate that automation will displace 75 million jobs. But on a yeah. flip side to that, they also say it will create 133 million jobs by 2022. Now, what are those jobs? How high-paying are those jobs? That's a whole nother story. But can you kind of, uh, in your in your expertise, predict what 
we're going to see. What does the workforce look like as these tech companies continue to thrive? I think, no, I think you're, A, I think your worries about automation are, like, well-founded and, and also, like, people don't think about it as much. Like, it's not even in, like, the dialogues of debates that come up, but, like, to your boy Andrew Yang's point, Yang Yang. And, like, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's something we should be thinking about. Yeah. But I think it, I think it really splits. I think it just changes, like, what social classes look like. I think there's going to be a servant class of people that are, say, like, maybe there are people who have these sort of gig economy jobs, you know, what the definition of a job is. And, right. and you, might, you might, like, be moving someone's stuff in to one startup one day or driving an Uber for them the other day or, you know, delivering food someday. And then there are the people who are going to be, you know, using and ordering those apps and the ones that can afford to do it, you know. So I think it really, I think it just sort of the labor classes diverge and, and it's, you know, it's an old story of like hollowing out of the middle class, but like exactly. the the folks who the folks who have to maintain these systems or be a part of how the systems work are generally just paid shit and are not yeah. going to have those improve. And I just see that really widening over time. So, uh, first of all, we're speaking with author Mike Isaac. He is a New York Times journalist. He covers all things tech. And he has a new book out called Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Check out the book. So, speaking <laughs> of uh, Andrew Yang and speaking of automation, Yang is one of the only people to bring up a universal basic income. Yep. Now, as we saw in 2012, where when it comes to health care, the notion of a single payer was like, whoa, way out there. Can't believe it. Now, the Democratic Party has embraced the idea of a single payer almost as a moderate position. When Andrew Yang came out and discussed the UBI, everyone's like, whoa, way out there. But mm -hmm. do you think going forward, uh, when we have, uh, you know, certain tech giants, I forget the name of the man uh, who he used to be a proponent of people working 12 hours a day, uh, six days mm -hmm. a week, and now he's a proponent of people working four hours a day. He believes that that's going to be the future, and I'm blanking on his name. Is that Tim Ferriss? Tim Ferriss with, else? like, the four-hour workday? No, that... it's not <laughs> Tim Ferriss. He's an Asian fella. He just had a conference with Elon Musk, and I'm just blanking on his name. I just spoke ah, with him shit. about uh, on Yahoo Finance, ah. which feel free to talk. Uh, feel free to Google Ben Kissel, Yahoo Finance. Very, very fun. Don't Google Yahoo Finance. I don't know how things work. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but when it comes to the concept of a universal basic income given what automation will do jobs displaced do you think that will go in a direction where it becomes more mainstream and is that just the only possible way to offset the cost of automation you know it's it's really funny that um so i live out in san francisco and you know it's like Tech Central, there's a ton of like accelerators and venture capital firms and stuff. And one of the things that this startup incubator, it's called uh, Y Combinator, is toying around with is this idea of UBI for different communities in the Bay Area. And this guy named um, Sam Altman, he's like, uh, uh, Travis, you may have like heard about him at some point, but he's like, he's like this sort of like, um, startup dude who ran the startup incubator i think he he was he was proposing if not already had brought um a ubi to a city and it might have been oakland or at least like a, a suburb of oakland and wanted to see how it, it worked out and it got some pushback initially just because it, it sort of 
the feeling was like, okay, now we're like lab rats for billionaires who want right. to like try things, you know? But I do think it's like, I do think it's becoming a more popular idea out here in this, in this more, you know, liberal haven. And, um, and I think it's, there is, I think there's momentum where it wasn't before. And like you said, like, um, what was once a far leftist position is now becoming like, you know, even centrist some of the time. So yeah. I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. And, and, the, and the man I was referencing there was Jack Ma. Oh yeah. He is the chairman of the Alibaba group holding uh, company. And it's interesting. This happened in China, this event where he was speaking with Elon Musk and he and Elon Musk sort of have a different idea about how intelligent, AI truly is. So Elon Musk, this is a quote from he and Ma. I'll go with Musk first, and I want to hear your thoughts after I read both. Musk says, people underestimate the capability of AI. They sort of think like it's a, it's a smart human, but it's going to be much smarter than the smartest human you will ever know. Ma says, I never in my life say human beings will be controlled by machines. It's impossible. Human beings can never create another thing that is smarter than human beings. And I find this to be a really interesting contrast between these two people who are in a similar field. So what side would you fall on when it comes to that? Because I'm more in the Musk camp, quite frankly, because it seems as if AI is really figuring a lot of things out very quickly. But what do you think? No, I think, you know, it's actually a really interesting ongoing battle out here because there are folks who believe um, who fall into the must camp. And then another big proponent of AI is, is good or may not be advanced enough in that regard is uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He's like, right. he's like the, the AI optimist. And um, I think right now the limits of AI are very apparent. Like I don't think self-driving cars are going to be coming anytime soon. And um, just because, uh, it requires such huge data sets and even, you know, scientists out here have sort of, um, data scientists out here have said, look, we, we have, we have reached some of the limits of what we can do just based on these models. Okay. That said, that said, like they're creating think tanks out here on how to build ethical AI because, uh, the way we build it now, uh, will inform how these machines think in the future. So if it's like, a white man, a white man, heterosexual, like that's, that's the type of AI that you're building essentially. So like, I think they're trying to think through, do we want to have people of color? Do we have, want to want to have LGBT folks in these things? Like our programming is informed by the people who program them. So when become, when the machines do get smarter, they aren't going to rise up and murder us all. Maybe they actually might care about us. Well, and of course, and you continue to mention, I know Travis has a question here, but you continue to mention Mark Zuckerberg. And for me, he yeah. and, and Jack of Twitter, whose Twitter account was also just hacked. Yes. Um, <laughs> but amazing. It was incredible, I suppose. Um, I wish someone would just, you know, I wish, I wish someone would hack. You would think Donald Trump's was actually being hacked, but unfortunately that's just how he tweets. Um, but when it comes to Mark Zuckerberg, I, I continually go back to the base. The base of Facebook was a website basically called Hot or Not. Yeah. It was yep. just to rate the attractiveness of chicks that Zuckerberg could not have sex with. So, I mean, when we talk about, and I think that's the that's such a great point that you made, who is creating the AI and who yep. is allowed in the room? 
We grew up in working class families. We're not in that freaking room. We, I have no yeah. idea. We might as well be in another planet. So yeah. how do we know or how can we understand that what we're seeing, like Twitter, the algorithm is to engage, uh, irritate, enrage. How do we how do we get like people to understand that they're being played? Yes, I know that's like it's really the first. I would say the last twenty years of the valley has just been about growth, 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 growth. Like growth and engagement. Like they don't care what you're looking at. It's just as long as it keeps your eyeballs coming right. back to the Twitter feed or the Facebook feed or Instagram feed. Like that's the whole point. They want the growth, the hockey stick growth up and to the right. Mm -hmm. Only in the past, uh, and to what Travis was saying earlier, what does it take? Only in the past, like two years, two or three years, have we seen the consequences of limitless, uh, sort of like growth at all costs, which is, has included like literal, um, like slaughtering of people in, uh, in Myanmar because mm. of Facebook bad information, right? Or, or like, can you go? Can you explain that a little bit to our audience? Because that story yeah, seemed totally. to get a little sweeped under the rug, mm. as far as I'm concerned. Oh my God. How did Facebook aid and abet a genocide? I mean, that was just the most insane thing. So basically, Facebook, and this gets back to like optimism versus pessimism. Facebook has had this rosy view of the world where they believe, and Zuckerberg believes, like the more connecting people. Uh, you do, the better it will make for society, right? Now, what they didn't account for was groups of people or the government themselves or wings of the military in Myanmar manipulating the types of information that people saw on Facebook mm -hmm. and using that to essentially weaponize and militarize folks into uh, killing groups of people. So, like, they would... They, they literally had, like, a, a wing of the military literally put this bad information in the feeds of some folks in Myanmar, mm. and it resulted in mass slaughters of, of this one ethnic group, literal ethnic cleansing. It's one of the most disturbing things. I've so seen. sad. Yeah. But yeah. they never saw it coming. But, that I mean, that goes back to the personalities behind these tech companies. The, yeah. Travis Kalanick is not a – he's not a champion. He's not a humanitarian. He's not a champion of – transportation alternatives he's not like mm -hmm. he's not somebody that said like i really need to make sure uh that people have an alternative to the subways or he is just a guy that he was at his jam pad which is what he called his house <laughs> yep. he was at his jam pad oh, and man. he said how do i make money how do i like how do i break into the market of of the tech industry and he just found one of the things that he could manipulate and uh, get over on people. I, I suppose the question is, when it comes to Zuckerberg and uh, and the fellow there that uh, Travis mentioned, when Zuckerberg says that he believes connecting the world will make it more peaceful, when he says the line like, hey, man, we're bringing people together, we're not tearing people apart, obviously it's a yeah. complete and utter lie, do you believe <laughs> that he actually believes that? Do you think that he yeah. – because there is no I'm – I'm going to trust that Zuckerberg's a smart guy, not socially or emotionally, mm. uh, but <laughs> analytically and data-driven, he is a smart intellectual uh, in his yeah. own unique way uh, – do you really think that he thinks for a second that he is helping the world? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I've met him a number of times and you do really like, 
shit your pants and the level of like intelligence he has because it, he really is sort of like eight steps ahead. But I think a lot of the Valley has this sort of revisionist history around why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And the, the impulse initially is to go for power and build um, a very lucrative, very wealthy company um, as quickly as you can, because if someone else is, if you don't do it, then someone else will. And then right. I think, and then I think they build the philosophy, the lofty goal around that idea rather than start with that initially. So I don't think, I, don't, I mean, look, I think Mark probably believes what he's saying, but I also think that, like, I don't think that's, that's why any of these folks really start the companies. I think it's just, right. they, you know, they, they want to get rich. They want to be another Steve Jobs. They want to sort of change the world, even uh, if they have consequences that they were, they were, they didn't foresee. Well, right. speaking of changing the world, in addition to Facebook, who, you know, I'm reminded of Facebook when I think of Uber, but I'm also reminded of a company like Juul, who is using yeah. so many lobbyists to change the laws of our country state by state, county by yeah. county. You're talking about the vape? The vape, the e-cigs. Yeah. They have so yeah. many lobbyists out there yeah. re- rejiggering <laughs> the laws of our country. And I, I'm wondering how, in what ways is Uber doing that to our, our sort of our transportation infrastructure? No, 100%. A, Jewel is like my next, so they're based out here. They, their offices are right next to my dog's vet. So it's like a hey, all right. trip. It's a total fucking trip to see someone like vape. Well, it's sc- that's scary to me because my dog did eat a jewel pod once, and we had to go to the vet. Yeah, he's addicted to him now. He he's eating three a day now. Scary. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> Jesus, I hope he's okay. Uh, but he's it's fine. It's uh, that's the next company I would love to investigate because I think it's a sleeping giant. But to your point, like they they not even just jewel. All of these companies have enormous like paid lobbyists, uh, legions of paid lobbyists that they send out to D.C. to sort of massage con- uh, Congress, congressional uh, staffers to, to, to make it okay here. And I think right now, in California right now, there's a battle over um, uh, labor rights and whether they should classify, whether they'll be forced to classify drivers as employees instead of contractors. And Uber, uh, Uber and a few other companies have committed $90 million dollars fighting that bill right mm-hmm. now and whether whether you think it's right or not they are they're absolutely spending tons of money to shape the future that they think is better for them yes and of course the irony is if they invested that much money into actually making people employees <laughs> they could do that but when it comes to jewel which is also interesting i spoke on yahoo finance google well, it, google it. <laughs> um i i was speaking about jewel teenage smoking is down 75 percent since the 90s and mm-hmm. I actually think they're doing something fairly well, positive in many ways. smoking of cigarettes. Yes. But <laughs> what I want to say is we, we, we do need to rephrase. We talk about big tobacco. And it really isn't big tobacco. It's big nicotine. The drug is mm-hmm. nicotine, and they just found a different delivery yep. system. But when mm-hmm. it comes to what happened in San Francisco, your neck of the woods, uh, mm-hmm. They have outlawed jewels, but they allow cigarettes. Uh, this isn't so much a tech question. This is more of yep. a you're a resident of San Francisco. To me, that seems completely counterintuitive and totally yeah. backwards. Uh, Marcus Parks, uh, who is a regular host on this show and on last podcast on the left, of course, uh, 
Jewel saved his life, man. I mean, he was smoking two packs a day, mm. and now he does his Jewel. He takes a couple of puffs. He gets his nicotine, which is the drug. The tobacco is just the ship uh, that the drug sails in on. Um, so what do you actually think about that as a phenomenon? I personally, I'm pro-Jewel. Well, mm. I mean, I, let me first say, from what I understand, the Jewel is targeting lower-income communities. Yo, bro, I'm, I'm going to say this, though, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Mike. If you really want to target any kind of ad that goes towards children, the number one killer of children is childhood obesity. You should take out all the tricks ads, every cereal ad. Those are more dangerous well, than anything well, that Jewel could ever Well, imagine. maybe don't have a nicotine flavor that is creme brulee then. Who doesn't? What kid likes creme brulee? Kids don't even know what creme brulee is. This is a side conversation that Travis and I will argue about when we're in Europe. Um, well, we'll but, be enjoying creme brulee. Yeah, real creme brulee, or maybe I'll just vape it. <laughs> Guys, it's 2019. Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. I was on the hunt for some, but didn't want to drop hundreds of dollars on a pair. I'm glad I checked out Raycon instead. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Cardi B, Brandy, and Snoop Dogg are already obsessed. Raycon's wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. And unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, with no dangling wires or stems. And of course, they don't just look great, they sound great too. Raycon hooked me up with a pair of the E50 earbuds, and I couldn't be happier with them. What I love about my Raycons is they're the only earbuds I've ever had that stay in my ears and are actually comfortable. Not to mention they have a great Bluetooth range and a battery life that survives even my longest days. Now wherever I go, you can bet I've got my Raycons on me. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash top hat to get 15% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash top hat for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash top hat. But what, what do you think about that phenomenon? And as far as why is the government now choosing to crack down on something like Juul as opposed to, again, all the other things that are detrimental to people? Yeah, no, I think I think your point is totally fair about San Francisco. This particular bill was, um, I mean, it was really pushed by people who want who need to sell tobacco, right? So I don't think there was any actual, I think they were totally gaming the moral component of like, whether you think Jewel is good or bad, and that whole thing was kind of perverse. Um, I, I mean, I, I totally hear you. I smoked for from like fifteen to thirty, and just quit like two or three years ago. Um, nice. I don't, I don't, I don't vape. I just sort of stopped smoking weirdly. Um, nice. But I, I do think that, um, and we, I guess, like the thing is, is like we just don't know enough about what Jewel does for for for, for people to be comfortable with kids taking it up you know in mass and like i mean you you just look at like jewel and you google like jewel and on youtube or whatever and it's like just a bunch of kids jeweling all the time and so i think the it's hard to say conclusively that like we know we're harming them actively but we just it, it's 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 i think it's reasonable to 
be wary of like introducing a very addictive substance to kids at a very young age and, and not doing that, not doing anything about it. So right. I, I do give them the, the point that like, look, I, is it, is it helping people get off tobacco? Uh, yes. Is that a good thing? Yes. So what is, what happens after that is what I think is worth for the, for the study. If you think that the cigarette and if it's if you think this is a binary that is you know cigarette industry industry bad jewel good it's the same right. it's the same, it's industry. The same people yeah, because exactly. the cigarette yeah. industry has invested so much money in jewel because they're basically they have one foot they on another, one platform and one in the other again rephrase it all the time now in your heads folks because it used to be big tobacco just think of it as big nicotine nicotine is it but let's get back a little bit to more of the tech conversation uh, this is a statistic coming from the boston consulting group so this is about executives talking about uh how many employees will get displaced 67 percent of chinese executives and uh 50 percent of U.S. executives expect a reduction in the number of employees over the next five years. It seems as if the Chinese are much more willing or much more accepting of the idea of automation. And obviously, we have Donald Trump's trade war, which is, uh, you know, I call it schadenfreude economics. He's basically, he's selling it as saying, hey, yeah, you're going to suffer here in the States, but not as bad as the Chinese. And you know what? It would be nice if neither had to suffer because they don't. Um, but do you think that the Chinese are more willing to accept the fact that automation is going to be taking jobs and the U.S., perhaps these executives are just being willfully ignorant? A hundred percent. I think um, it's really funny. CEOs and tech CEOs out here like going to China and sort of seeing into the future and, and bringing bring, – because China really has lapped up on a lot of um, innovation and how tech sort of is really ingrained into culture there. And um, uh, so they'll come back, the CEOs here will come back and sort of add all these Chinese features and uh, or copy the apps over there. I think the Chinese really uh, culturally have a level of acceptance uh, around what tech will, how tech will shape the future that Americans, you know, as a rule or writ large, uh, don't. You know, I think like Trump's, Trump is obviously sort of trying to use all these, uh, you know, maneuvers to save, you know, what he says, saving manufacturing jobs or saving the jobs right. that he sort of wants to try and save. Um, but I do think like, look, I think China is sort of has a, a kind of latent acceptance of the direction things are going in. And it seems to be the, the people seem to be more willing to at least figure out how to deal with it afterwards. Trump seems to be fighting for, for a future that, I don't know will ever continue to exist just based on the direction it's going. And again, you know, don't forget, folks, the conversation we had earlier about what the Trump administration is proposing regarding using Fitbit data uh, to predetermine mm -hmm. if you're a dangerous person or not. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Ugh. I don't know. I don't even know how to handle that. Which, which reminds me awful. Uh, it's an awful like the social credit system uh, that China is putting forward. They're doing the exact same thing. So I guess, yeah. you know, just my final sort of question, unless, you know, Travis, do you have anything else that you would like to uh, to talk about? Mike, is there anything that you would like to talk about that we that we haven't hit on? No, I think, look, I think, I think, I guess I would just say that your concerns are well-founded. And like, if I can say... If I can be an op I mean, I'm a journalist, so I'm like a cynic and probably right. a pessimist most of the time. But um, if I can have like some level of optimism, it's that I'm starting to talk to younger 
kids who are like mm. 19, 20, 21 who are starting, who want to go into tech and actually like, you know, build a future that can be inclusive of people of color or like people, uh, you know, transgender folks or build the things that are, are products for a larger, um, more inclusive version of the users who use them mm. instead of white guys sort of designing the world as they want it to be because that's like the only way they can see it or, or understand it. And I think that's like a hopeful, a hopeful message. And, and maybe, maybe if like people are more aware of what people don't like, then they can build more uh, responsible products. So if there's a silver lining. But as a, as these tech giants are basically aggregators of humanity, isn't that yeah. by nature a diverse uh, sort of, exploration of who we are as a people no i mean that's fair i think i think the way that the systems are built from the top down and how they carry out some of these things like how a um like you know how a, an ai algorithm may make a decision based on the input thought from the person behind the computer um i think has a, a more outsized effect than we even realize but i think it's fair to think like in the long run since we're gathering such enormous amounts of data on so many people that perhaps it's, it, it might have an evening out effect. Right. My question would be, so you have a company like Uber who just sort of has unchecked ethical violations. They have rampant mm -hmm. sexual harassment within their own workplace. They seem to disregard the lives of ev of even their own employees or or as they put it, independent contractors because they don't they don't yeah. even consider the drivers to be employees. They consider yeah. them to be sort of flesh capsules inside of their their data grid. Um, yep. But if a company like that can get this far by smashing rules and just by just being erratic and obnoxious, what can we do, you know, as just citizens of our own country to push back on all this stuff? There, there seems to be a uh, either a deliberate unchecking of regulations or i don't know like i mean i would push back yeah. a little bit on this notion of smashing rules right because if you look at like the taxi commission the taxi commission mm. is fraudulent i mean those people were doing horrible things but when it right. comes to uber they're creating the rules right they're the ones who are getting the legislators to literally oh but they they have create they have protocols to evade all compliance this is right. this is what i'm talking about but yeah but and so i guess as an addition to travis's point which obviously is valid um but when it comes to the creation of the reality and i think that's what you've been getting to mike mm -hmm. yeah what is the human response to that is that something that has to be uh, do we need someone uh, a political figure does it need to be a social yeah. action or what do you think no, totally. I think, you know, there's there's like a positive and negative way of looking at this. I think right now we are in a time where, I mean, you guys are thinking about it and you care about it and like are asking listeners to care about like what they do with their data and what their decisions on the, the apps that they use and services they use, um, how, what the consequences are. And that's, even that is really new, I would say. Like that's becoming more of a widespread idea than it was in maybe any time in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that has a lasting effect. And I think uh, there are folks in Congress who are, who are, who are starting to realize that you can score. I mean, this is a cynical view, but they can score political exactly. points by, by catering to that. And so there's, you're starting to see, I mean, there's Mark Warner, Senator Mark Warner, there's, yeah. um, 
Josh Hawley, a freshman congressman. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are folks who are are going hard on big tech right now, Um, whether it's for self-interest or the interest of the people. It's starting to become more mainstream. And, and of course, Elizabeth Warren as well and Bernie in some ways. Uh, When when Elizabeth mentions breaking up big tech, do you think that's a solution? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting because one thing that Facebook is doing right now um, in the background is integrating its messaging app. So they're integrating Instagram, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp right. so that they can head off the any ability for the government to break up their app. So they're actually trying to tie themselves together so they, they can't be broken up, um, which I'm very curious if it actually works. But I do right. think, like, I do think, you know, she has a very... Um, uh, you know, a valid line of reasoning in saying, look, these companies are too powerful and they just keep smashing, uh, squashing any form of competition as it tries to enter the space, you know? So there's something there. That's the interesting irony between this notion of free markets and then literally having something like what Clear Channel did to radio, which is why we are speaking via a podcast. (laughs) Because technology (laughs) also found a way. But there were many years where radio was just... DOA. Yeah. It just did not exist for about a decade in this country, and I think that's why people like podcasts, because as someone who grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh in my parents' car, who I disagree <laughs> with on every single thing, <laughs> um, I, I was in love with talk radio. And so mm. when we have this, how do you weigh the balance between free markets and also, like, you are now a monolith. You are now a yeah. monopoly, and now you need to, like, give others a chance to do what you did. No, you're exactly – that's the thing that – it's really funny. Out out west, out here, everyone's, like – or all the tech guys are, like, very much – it's a mer- meritocracy, and the best company will win, and, like, right. free markets are a good thing. But it's total bullshit because – Mm-hmm. All they do is is acquire as many startup competitors as they can so they so they cement their their position of dominance because they don't want to go anywhere and there really are like four or five enormous companies mm-hmm. Facebook Amazon Apple that sort of like just control most of what we do in our daily lives. It so, reminds me of what the National Enquirer did with the Trump stories. They 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 uh, acquire it and kill it. Yeah. Nope. That's exactly it. So I don't, I don't know. It's a lot of lip service. I have one more question. Travis Kalanick was, he was what, he was thrown out or was he, did he resign from uh, Uber in 2017? He got pushed out by his board um, in a very dramatic Okay. So he was, I mean, he's obviously like a crazy fascinating character in the sense that he's like an evil boogie board that has controlled a massive company. But and, and so that. and, and that's a lot of your a lot of your book is I imagine talking about him profiling him, but yeah. what is what does Uber look like now that uh, Dara K I'm not going to pronounce his last name now that Dara Dara K is now the the CEO what does it look like is it night and day uh, as opposed to the the sort of the reckless bro macho culture uh, that it used to be so yeah so. Uh... It's been two years this week since Dara uh, Khazar Shahi took over, and uh, they have been trying. They spent half a billion dollars on marketing themselves as a new company, and we've turned a new leaf, and right. no more, no more, um, no more assholes or something like that. Uh, I think they are trying. I think they are definitely trying to sort of improve the culture, but I also think it's really, it's really hard to change. A company's DNA yeah. and from the very beginning Travis built 
Travis Kalanick built this company in his image and hired the people that thought like him and looked like him. And, and it, it's, you can't just fire 15,000 people overnight and, and expect two years later for it to be completely different. No, so I think it's a long not. road to go. All right. Super pumped the battle for Uber. Mike Isaac, thank you so much for being on the show. Last thing, one word answers. One positive thing about tech. I'm going to say medical. Uh, it's very good. I just read an article about how tech is really helping predetermined conditions of the heart and saving lives. So that, that's a nice thing, that Travis. Was, that was your one word answer? Well, it's quite, all right. Whatever. One sentence. <laughs> Travis, your one nice thing to say about tech. Uh, my one nice thing to say as you as you flip through your Samsung, tech, I'm looking through all my apps. <laughs> okay, Let's he's looking through his apps. That's bit, that's fun. One good thing, Slack. Slack. There we go. Slack has helped our business. And you, Mike, one good thing about tech. Oh, this is going to be a positive and negative thing at the same time. Perfect. Uh, Twitter. Oh God. <laughs> because Ugh, I don't it's know. A, it's a Stinking cesspool of vomit, but I also met my wife through Twitter. All right. Well, I'm happy you guys found the same uh, fetish. All right. Thank you so much, Mike Isaac. Thank you for being on the show. And check out all of his work in the New York Times. He's their tech correspondent and a brilliant dude. Thanks for having me, guys. That was so much fun. All right. There it was, the interview with Mike Isaac. I thought that was fascinating. This is great. I... I Uber is bad. I mean, you really should check this book. I've been following. I'm going to check it out, but it's really hard for me because the Uber is the only app that I have for the car. We have. I mean, we have to find something else. We need hoverboards. Oh my god! I I I was at Skinny Dennis the other day, and someone was skateboarding across the street, and I saw him fall down, break open the back of his head. He was covered in blood. We don't need hoverboards, man. We need faster feet. We need hoverboards and hover helmets. I was actually I get I got in a uh, an Uber, I got an Uber a couple days ago, and the Uber driver turned to me and said, uh, "Oh, Travis, like the like the CEO, like the owner of Uber." And I was like, "Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I like that. I hope I'm less of an irredeemable dick bag, but but yeah, uh, like like Travis and I, I was like, and he said, uh, "Oh, you know, there's 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 good and bad. You know, I imagine he has yes. to kind of like talk." Uh, be careful what, what he says. Of course, well, but evidently he like, they're monitoring. Them, he was so, like, yeah. uh, he was like, yeah, there's good and bad. Like, um, you know, Donald Trump. I was like, oh, okay. So if that's the only person you can compare Travis Kalanick to, is there you go? The mo- one of the most hated men in America. That's that's a pretty good indicator of what kind of CEO he was. And unlike a dick bag, which is a condom, uh, this Travis doesn't seem to protect the people the way that he should. <laughs> so, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this interview. You can find Mike Isaac online. Check out his book. Again, it's Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. And, uh, yeah, just an interesting conversation uh, we are going to continue to have for yeah, look, the, foresee- uh, for U- the foreseeable future, perhaps just from now on. So Uber is just an example of all the tech companies and how they're trying to secretly screw you over i will be using uber as soon as we're done with this podcast um all right everyone thank you all so much for listening don't forget hail yourselves we'll talk to you soon this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to go to lastpodcastnetwork.com Hey mom, first things first, 
Thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.